Hi, this is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 8. We're going to be in verses 26 to 40. You know, we're faced with all kinds of opportunities all the time to try something new, invest in a company, uh, some kind of venture to advance our career, learn a new skill, try to build a new relationship. Opportunities face us all the time. But we're also faced with divine opportunities. And what I mean is that there are these moments that are orchestrated by God for the specific purpose of us spreading the message of Jesus, us being a witness and declaring the gospel. And this morning, we're going to look at a man who happens to have a fantastic name, who seized such a divine opportunity and helped to prepare the way for evangelism into the Gentile world. So what we're going to see this morning is that like Philip... We are called, all of us, we're all called to seize the divine opportunities that God gives us to share the gospel. So Acts 8, 26 to 40 presents us with five things, five things that we can learn from Philip in seizing these opportunities. The first thing that we see from Philip is that he was obedient to God's call. Looking at verses 26 and 27, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. So an angel tells Philip to go somewhere. And he did it. He rose and went. There was no delay there was no debate. Philip just exercised, exercised simple trust and obedience in God's call. Okay, I need to go do it. It reminds me of the old hymn. There's a line, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. This is what Philip did. He heard, he trusted, he obeyed, he went. Now, you and I might not have an angel show up and directly speak to us, telling us specifically where to go and and when. But through the Spirit's guidance in our life, if we are walking with the Spirit, He will be directing us to different um, opportunities to share the gospel. Which kind of begs the question, how often do I or how often do we start our day saying, God, would you lead me to an opportunity to share the gospel? Or how often do I go to bed saying, Lord, tomorrow would you give me an opportunity to tell someone about Jesus? And I confess, if I'm honest, I don't do that every day. And, and, and preparing for this sermon has kind of been a little bit of a gut punch for me because I've been thinking about how many potential gospel conversations I've neglected, I've missed because I, I didn't obey God's call in my life. Or maybe I was just busy, or straight up I was just lazy and selfish. For whatever reason, I know I've missed many in my life, and it's not, you know, I don't want to just, you know, beat us down and, and, and throw a bunch of guilt on us this morning, because there's grace, there's mercy in the Lord, but it's just, that's how I've been feeling. 
I've, I've missed so many opportunities. But Philip, he seized the opportunity. He rose and he went. And so what happened? Verse 28 and 29 so this eunuch had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, seating it, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Okay, how great is this? The guy that the angel tells Philip to go and, and talk to is already reading Scripture. It says he's reading the prophet Isaiah. Like, talk about an opportunity kind of served up on a platter. Like, this dude's reading the Bible, Right? That's, that often doesn't necessarily happen to each one of us, but this is what happened to Philip. Philip hears him reading the Bible, but then he engages him with a question, which is the second thing that we can learn from Philip, is that he asked questions. Verse 30. So Philip ran to him and asked him, reading Isaiah the prophet, and, and asked, he said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? He asks questions. It seems like a basic thing to do as far as being a witness and trying to have conversations about Jesus, but it's, it's crucial, I think, because we are not going to be able to know what somebody else's, what, what they know, what they believe, what they're searching for, unless we start asking some questions about who they are. Right? Our call isn't necessarily just to cram a message down somebody's throat without even hearing who they are and, and what they already believe. He asks a question. Do you understand what you're reading? How can I? And I want to encourage us um, it's not bad, it's not wrong to start with surface-level questions. You can begin by talking about the weather, talk about the game last night, talk about the kids or whatever, but then with an aim to go deeper and get to a gospel-centered conversation and talking about Jesus. And I will say this, when you ask questions, be sure that you genuinely listen to their response. And when they respond, how we react to their response can go a long way. So let's say somebody, you, you, you ask them a genuine question. Well, what do you believe about God or the universe or whatever? And they say, well, I believe that aliens came and, and, and created us and they zoomed away and who knows if they're coming back. Some people believe that. Not going to go well if they say that. They've answered your question and you're like, I think that's dumb. <laughs> that's probably going to kill the conversation, Right? Rather, maybe you could say, instead of judging that, that answer in the moment, you could say, oh, well, why don't you tell me about why you believe that? Or how did you get to that conclusion? It keeps the conversation going a little bit longer, right? And hopefully you can interject with, well, this is what I believe, right? Now that I've listened to what you believe, now let me share what I believe. Philip asked questions, and we we're called to ask questions as well. And this asking of questions gave him a platform to speak to the eunuch. Verse 31 he said, how can I understand unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Verse 32 says, now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. It was the eunuch's turn to ask a question. And he says, About whom, I ask, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? And then, bam, here's the opportunity just right in front of him. And Philip sees it, the opportunity to share the gospel because he was prepared to share the gospel. That's the next thing that we learned from Philip. He was prepared to share the gospel. Look at verse 
35. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus. So beginning with this passage, which is Isaiah 53, 7 to 8, in the wider context, Isaiah 53, chapter all about the suffering servant, all about the chosen one, the Messiah of God, who's going to come, suffer, and would die, Philip explains, say, Jesus, Isaiah's not talking about himself, Isaiah's talking about Jesus. Jesus is that lamb, Jesus is that sheep that's silent before the accusers. He's the one that was denied justice, he was the one that suffered and died, and he died to pay for the sins of you and me. He died in our place. Philip was prepared to share the gospel because he knew the gospel. Do we know the gospel? If we were in a situation where somebody just happened to ask, hey, you go to a church, don't you? Like, what's that all about? Could we say, this is what that's about? Could we explain the gospel? 1 Peter 3.15 tells us to always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks us about the hope that we have. God's going to provide opportunities for us to share the good news. What are we going to say? Do you know it? Do you know the gospel? I mean, if there's one thing that Christians should know, it would be the good news that they've heard and believed in order to become a Christian, right? And you have an opportunity to, to explain, even quickly with somebody, hey, here, here's the reality. Here, here's a quick summary of the gospel. Here's what we believe. We believe that, that there's a creator God, and he made everything, and he made it good. And originally, it was all perfect and great. However, sin entered the picture. Humanity sinned. We rebelled, and that led to brokenness, all kinds of brokenness in our own relationships, but most important with our relationship with God. And you can see the results of brokenness and sin all over the place. But thankfully, here's the good part. God didn't abandon us. He didn't leave us to our own devices to try to figure it out. He promised that he would send a Messiah. He promised he would send a rescuer. And then he sent his own very son, his only son. He loved us so much that he would send his own son to come and to rescue us, to die on a cross, to pay the penalty that we deserve to pay for. He did that. He died for us in our place, but then he rose again in victory, and he offers forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life to anyone who would repent and believe. There's the gospel. He did that. And if you don't know that and you can't say that, may I encourage you to study that, to to learn it, It didn't take me that long to say that. You can do that. I encourage you to do that. We have good news to share with people. Salvation is good news, right? Forgiveness of sins, that's that's good news. Eternal life, that's good news. Relationship restored with God, that's good news. We have good news to share. May we learn from Philip. May we be like Philip and be prepared to seize those opportunities that come to each one of us. The next thing that we see from Philip is not only did he share the gospel, but he followed Jesus' command. And what do I mean by that? He followed Jesus' command. Well, verse 36 says, As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? This guy is like the best. (laughs) He's doing most of the work for Philip, if you think about it. He's already reading the Bible. He wants to get baptized. Um, In verse 38, he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Here's water. 
What prevents me from being baptized? So we can draw a little bit of a conclusion, a little inference from the text that the eunuch evidently heard what Philip had said about the gospel and had believed it. And chances are Philip had said, well, you should probably repent and believe and then be baptized. We can probably infer that conversation happened in the chariot. And so the eunuch's riding along. He says, there's water. Let's, why can't I be baptized? And so Philip follows Jesus' command. Which command? Matthew 28, 19 to 20. Go, therefore. Right? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. That was Jesus' command to his disciples. So Philip says, time to get baptized. And the eunuch says, yeah, let's do it. I think it's really interesting that the eunuch didn't wait to publicly declare his faith in Jesus. Stop right here. Stop the chariot. There's some water. I'm going to get baptized right now. I mean, he was a brand new believer. Maybe minutes old in the faith, potentially hours. We don't know how long they were in a chariot together, but certainly less than a day old in the faith. And he says, I'm going to get baptized. So he was a new believer, but he was no closet Christian. He went public with his faith. And we're so excited that along with pony rides coming up on the fourth birthday party, we are also going to have an opportunity for water baptism for those who want to get baptized. Just like that eunuch. If you are here and you have believed the gospel, you've heard the gospel, you've understood the gospel, you've believed the gospel, then like the eunuch, you're ready to be baptized. Believe and be baptized. Right here, evidence for us. So I encourage you to be baptized, to talk to someone about being baptized. You can talk to an elder. You can talk to me today. We'd love to see you and include you into the baptism service on June 3rd. Now, as the story concludes, the Ethiopian caravan heads this way, and we see that Philip continued being a witness for Jesus. He didn't stop. He carried on. Verse 40. Philip, but Philip found himself at Azotus, and he passed through, as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. He preached as he went. He didn't just say, well, I baptized that one Ethiopian, I'm good. He preached as he went to all these towns. Now, we're not 100% sure exactly what that means. Did he go to all the local synagogues in each town? Or did he just talk to people as he walked on the roads and meet and have conversations? We don't know. The text doesn't tell us. But the point is, is that he continued to be a witness. He didn't stop. I mean, no doubt. No doubt he was excited, right, about this Ethiopian eunuch coming to faith. But that motivated him to tell more people and to so fulfill, again, Acts 1.8, when Jesus said to his disciples, you're going to receive power and the Holy Spirit comes on you and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Philip was now carrying it further outside of Jerusalem. It's fulfilling Acts 1.8. Sure, he was excited about the Ethiopian eunuch trusting in Jesus. I'm sure he was pumped about that. He was probably amped up and like now encouraged. I'm going to tell some more people. That's great. He wasn't satisfied with just one new believer in Jesus. And so you, can, you and I, we can be excited when someone we know comes to faith. We should be excited. Throw a party, absolutely. But we should not get to a point where we're just content to stop at one. I did this in high school. I had a friend that I tried to invite to youth group and tried to invite to church for like over a year. He eventually started coming to youth group. And after, again, like about a year of talking to him, praying for him, bringing him, 
long conversations, he eventually actually gave his life to the Lord and he became a believer. And I remember that night sitting there being like, this is amazing. I can't believe Andrew's actually becoming a Christian. This is so cool. And then I remember I had a thought like, well, I have made a disciple. I guess I'm done. Right? I can, I can, I can kind of chill out now and take a break from disciple making because I have done my part and I have helped to make a disciple. But Jesus said, make disciples, right? Job's not done. I thought the job was done, but the job's not done. The job is done when God says it's done. And when God says it's done is when Jesus comes back. And until that point, we've got a mission. We've got a mission to complete. We've got work to do. We've got a message to share. Whether it's at work, whether it's at school, whether it's at home, whether it's at the park, whether it's at the grocery store, whether it's at the kids' soccer game, wherever that is, we have a message to share. We have a mission to complete. In October 1857, missionary Hudson Taylor began to minister in Ningpo, China. He led a man named Mr. Nai to Christ. This man asked Mr. Taylor, how long have you had the good news in England, where you're from? Taylor told him that England had known the gospel for centuries. At that, Mr. Nye asked, why didn't someone come sooner then? Taylor had no answer to that penetrating question. Why didn't someone come sooner? This quote has convicted me all week long. How long have I known the gospel? How long have we, how long have we known the gospel? What have we done with it? How much have we shared it? How often have I told people about Jesus? Are there people that maybe I will have a conversation with in the future who will maybe, Lord willing, believe and then say to me, why didn't you tell me sooner? Why didn't you tell me sooner? At which point I would say, I have nothing to answer you with. It's, it's convicting. But hopefully it's a motivating convicting. A motivating convicting to say, man, God does, and he will grant us opportunities to share the gospel, to tell people about Jesus. Let's, let's be like Philip. Let's seize those opportunities so that even more lives are changed by the good news of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father God,